Good morning. It is so good to see all your faces. Um, we, like Cody mentioned, we were out of town for a couple weeks. I think it's the longest we've been away for, well, besides for South Africa. When we go to South Africa, it's a while. But um, apparently when we leave, earthquakes and hurricanes happen. <laughs> so we're sorry. <laughs> we won't go again. Um, you know, I've... <laughs> whew. Hi. <laughs> it's good to be back. Um, over the last few, few months, I have several times quoted the scripture about how the disciples were the ones who turned the world upside down. And I kept kind of randomly bringing it up, and I was like, man, I feel like God's on this. And so this last week, as our world at times felt a little upside down, um, I just, I was like, okay, God, like, what is this? What is this? How is it that these disciples, these men and women who are following you, and it was the small group, right? It was, it was the 12 guys, one of them fell off the ship, um, and then these other women and, and people who, who followed Jesus. And in the end, I mean, there were thousands, there were crowds of thousands who would come and follow him, to, I think, to see, like, the magic show, you know, like, see the miracles and all the cool things. But then, in the end, um, it was the ones who waited. It says, it says that Jesus, after his resurrection, he would appear to different people, and he, and he appeared to over, it says over, at one time, over 500 people, and then multiple times he's appearing to different crowds, and he's telling them to wait, and in the end, it's only 120 people who actually wait. So it's like a small crowd. And those people are the ones who turned the world upside down. And I was just thinking about this and going, okay, so, so what exactly? And the truth is that this was actually said, like now we like to look at it as this like badge of honor, right? Like if somebody said, here are the ones who turned the world upside down, we'd be like, yes. But in reality, it was actually said as an insult, if you go back and read, it's from um, Acts chapter 17, verses 6 through 7, and it, um, the disciples are coming through, and I forget, I think at the time it was uh, Peter and Paul who were there, uh, no, Paul and Silas who were there, and, uh, and these people get mad, and so they actually come in and they get mad, and this is what it says, um, they, they go and look for, for the uh, apostles, and then it says, and when they could not find him, they dragged Jason, um, who was, you know, the, one, of, one of the other disciples um, at the time, one of the other believers. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king Jesus. And so in reality, this is said as, as basically them coming against these people. In other translations, it actually doesn't say turn the world upside down. It says these are the ones who are causing trouble. They're troublemakers. And some of you guys have been labeled troublemakers in your life, and I just feel the spirit of the Lord saying, I'm going to rename you as a troublemaker for my kingdom. And come on. And I just want to say, like, I was thinking about this fact that, that these, these, this small group of people turned the world upside down, and how did they do it? Because they weren't actually troublemakers. Even here in this exact story, they were just preaching, and when people started coming and causing problems, they just slipped out to another town. 
So they were actually not troublemakers. They were just truth tellers. They were just coming in and telling this truth, this age-old, eternal truth that everyone had been waiting for and they had no idea that this truth had come, that Jesus had come. And so they're just out here saying, this is the thing that will change your life. But what turned the world upside down was the way that they did it because the truth is that the world is actually not the right side up. The world right now, the way that the world naturally operates is actually opposite to what God designed. And so what turns it upside down is actually turning it right side up. Right? Does that make sense? That these disciples, these men and women came in with a truth that felt so contrary, so different to what the world was used to living in that it actually felt like they got flipped on their heads. But the reality is that these men and women are actually just coming and bringing a truth of Jesus that is so contrary to what we might naturally choose ourselves. Is that making sense? Yeah? Okay. Their issue was that these men and women were preaching that there's another king, not just Caesar. And guess what? They're right. And they're still right today. And there are so many who get offended by what the word says because it's preaching that you are not your own God. And that there is actually a God Almighty who loves you and he wants the best for you. And if you will listen to his ways, it might feel upside down sometimes, but it'll actually turn you right side up. So what does it look like to live in an upside-down kingdom, in his kingdom? What does it look like? What, what would it look like for these disciples? Because like I said, they're not coming in and actually like rioting in the streets. They're not coming in and telling everyone, everybody riot against Rome, which is what they were scared of, right? They were not coming in and saying to everybody, you know, go and, and hate and ridicule the Pharisees. No, they were coming in with, with a message, a truth message. And so there are just a few things that I felt like God, and there's a lot more. There's a lot more. All throughout scripture, you'll see upside down things. But I just, there were four that, that I felt like God was saying, focus on these this week. And so the first one is, uh, it is upside down to rejoice in trials. Anybody feel that? I know we've talked about this one before, and this, some of this might feel basic to you, especially if you've been around the church for a long time, but I actually feel like sometimes when God wants to take us deeper, he takes us back to the basics, and he goes, let's go deeper with those, because often it's the basics that actually is, it's, it's the essence of, of what can develop us, what can make us stronger, what can actually help us to grow, and sometimes we want to ignore the basics and like, okay, what's some more interesting things, but God is saying, hey, if, have you gotten it yet? Have you fully embraced it? So to rejoice in trials. How many of you guys, when you stub your toe, your initial reaction is like, yeah, praise Jesus. <laughs> and for many of you, it's not even just stubbing your toe. It's like you stub your toe 50,000 times is what it feels like, right? It feels like, man, like life can just be hard. Anybody face those seasons where it's just like, oh, man. Maybe it's one big thing. Maybe it's a million little things. Actually, um, some of you guys may remember we had a guy come out with Seth uh, named Steve Knox, and Cody and I were on the phone with him this last week, and he said, you know, the truth is that a lot of leaders end up being worn down instead of taken down. They just get worn down. How many of you guys feel that? Like the trials, they may, some of them are huge, but some of them are just like, they're just, 
just don't stop, you know? Anybody got that? And, and yet, these upside-down people come in and they say, rejoice, rejoice. I want to read to you just a couple of the scriptures in Romans, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. Paul writes, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Come on, how many of you guys need to hear that? How many of you guys have felt let down or discouraged or disappointed in your life, right? There's moments where you just feel so defeated, and yet this is saying that if you will instead choose to rejoice in the problems, that will actually develop in you an endurance, and that endurance actually strengthens us, strengthens our character, and our character strengthens our hope, our confidence, and this hope Jesus' hope will not lead to disappointment ever, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. And then in 1 Peter 1, verses 6 through 9, it says, So be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So it's talking here about like, we, we, he, he literally starts with, so be truly glad. And then he goes on to like, but you're facing many, many trials. You're enduring these trials. But then he talks about, you know, when we actually stand strong in these trials, something beautiful happens. I don't have this um, scripture up on the screen, but there's also the, the, probably the most famous one is in James 1, verses 2 through 4, where it says, count it all joy or consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? And, and so what I find so interesting, though, is do you guys know that in, are you all still here? You're very quiet today. All right. Make some noise. Um, remember amen? What does amen mean? Do you guys remember from a few weeks ago? Amen means you're actually taking what was just said and making it your own. The substance of what was said is making it your own. So if you hear anything that you're like, yes, I want that in my life, you can say amen. 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 <laughs> so how many of you guys know that um, in the, so the, the Bible, I'm going to give you a little bit of a basic lesson here, but the Bible is made up of the Old Testament and the New, right? The New is from when Jesus came to the earth in bodily form. The beginning of the New Testament starts with the four Gospels, which is the story of Jesus' life on earth. Then it goes into Acts, which is the story of how the, the disciples basically turned the world upside down. And then it has, um, I think it's 22, yeah, 22 different uh, letters that were sent to different churches or that were written down by some of these disciples, sent to individuals. And of those 22 letters, 
they think about 13 to 14 of them were written by a guy named Paul. So he writes a majority of the New Testament letters, right? What I find interesting, though, is those three verses that I just read to you about joy in trials, joy in problems. One of them was written by Paul. One of them was written by Peter. And one of them was written by James. And I just think that God did that on purpose. To go, this is not just one guy saying, hey, guys, let's rejoice. It's like this is a principle that these, whoo, this is a principle that these men and women of faith who turned the world upside down, they lived and they breathed this. Because you have to understand, these are not people living in the lap of luxury. These are not megachurch pastors who have a private, I'm not, not saying anything against, but these, these are not like megachurch pastors of private jets who are flying and like, okay, yeah, let's like get on Instagram and say a nice sermon. Nothing wrong with that. But these are men and women who are literally in the battle every day. They are being stoned. They are being beaten. They're being imprisoned. They're being ridiculed and betrayed. And yet, they stand and they say, have joy in the trials. Have joy in the struggle. And I think God on purpose uses three of them, three different men to say, this is a principle you need to hold on tight to, right? And, and all of these guys, all of these men, Paul, Peter, James, they were all solid Jewish believers. And so they, they're not just coming out of here going, I was nothing, I was a pagan, and now I have Jesus. They, they actually understand. They have grown up knowing who God is, knowing the law, knowing the old covenants, the, the Old Testament, the Torah. They've studied it. They know it. They've been taught it since they were little. And, and you want to know why I believe that they are able to say this whole thing of, like, have joy in trials? Because they understood the principle that was spoken in Nehemiah where it says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so they're able to go, oh, I can have joy because when I face trials and I face problems and I face difficulties in my work or I face, face a situation in a relationship or I face like a, a decision that I can't make or I face something really tragic happening to me or I face this like wearing down of just annoyances in our lives, when I face those things, I can know that what I need is strength. How many of you guys know when you face trials and you face battles and you face all those things, you need strength to get through? And they know, where do I get my strength from? The joy of the Lord, right? They understand it's not the joy that I muster up and put a smile on and like, okay, I'm good. Let's do the trial. It's like, no. It's, and it's not the joy of me. It's not the joy of, oh, I'm finding joy because I see other people happy around me. It's the joy of the Lord, Right? It's the joy that we find only in him. When we look at him and when we look at what he's done for us and when we look at his character and we look at who he is and we go, wow, that's the joy that I get to tap into and that is what actually builds my muscle to get through this trial. Right? Um, on Where were we? Utah. The, the last day of our trip before we had a really long, very hot, because Cody's truck, which I hate, um, <laughs> but I had no AC. And so the day before we left, we had like a, a wonderful free day. And so um, we were in Utah in Zion, some of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And we decided to take our kids um, 
tubing down the river. And the, like this tubing place was like, like, hey, yeah, you guys show up. There's no reservation needed. Cody signed nothing. There were no warnings. There was, it was just like, here's a tube. Put your four-year-old on it. Have fun. <laughs> and uh, so we're like, cool. Okay, it can't be that bad. Like they see the tailor, our daughter. She literally just turned four a week ago. And she's got her little floaties on. And they put her in a tube of her own. And they said, you know, don't tie her to you, but you can't hold her. We're like, yeah, we'll do, we'll do that. And so we end up like getting in this little, you know, river. It's not crazy. It's not like crazy rapids or anything. Um, and so we get in. Cody accidentally let go of our other daughter. She started hysterically crying. It was fine. It was totally fine. Um, and then we're floating down, and there's some parts that are, like, so peaceful. But from the get-go, Taylor, four-year-old, huge smile, steals and then loses my sunglasses, but wore them most of the time. So she's sitting there with her giant sunglasses on, and she's just having the time of her life. And then there were some moments... Don't tell my kids, because I kept telling them I wasn't, but I was a little nervous. <laughs> because there were some places where it got very rocky, and so the rapids would get a little bit bigger, and we may or may not have, you know, let, let go a couple times and had to jump. And So there were par parts that were really scary, and yet through it all, through some of the most scary parts, through some of the older kids going, we're going to die, literally. And we're like, we rebuke that in Jesus' name. Um, but it, there were some moments that were scary, and yet through the entire thing, Taylor is hysterically laughing. She's got her sunglasses on. I'm like, are you nervous, baby? She's like, no, this is amazing. She's like having the time of her life, and God spoke to me, and he said, do you know why she's not scared? Because she trusts you. You want to have joy in trials? You want to be going down some rapids of life and your relationships are falling apart and everything is crazy and you feel like you're going to drown? You want to know how you can have joy? Trust him. He's got you. He's got you. I mean, that, that, that song we just sang, he, he, you know, uh, now I'm forgetting it. But it's like, he, I, I, will not, I will not lose, what is it? The Firm Foundation, I just lost it. Uh, but it's, it's, we, it will be okay, right? It's, I don't know, something about being okay, and he's our firm foundation. Um, he will not let me down. There you go. There have been moments, and I'm going to let you into our family just for a second. Um, this trip was amazing. There were some really hard parts, but even in the months before that, there have been moments where Cody and I have literally needed to go and just hug each other and go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We trust him. We've got this. And you guys, this is like, I need you to understand too, like what we're facing with, you know, people thinking that we're crazy and telling us that we're crazy and walking out and whatever, with the city coming and saying we're doing a million things and pe there's literally people in this community, we can't quite figure it out because all we're trying to do is something like good for the community, but there's people who are trying to get us shut down, literally. Like we've been told by the city, yeah, there's people coming and trying to get you shut down. So, I don't understand that, and it's been hard, but it is nothing compared to what this, these men faced. Nothing. And yet there's moments where it feels overwhelming, and then there have been times where we've had to go, we have to choose joy in this. I, I want to ask, I want to tell you, like, if you went and asked our kids this last few weeks, you know, tell us about the trip, I very much doubt they're going to tell you, well, 
on the way to this place, we got stuck and couldn't go and had to like park in a, a parking lot and sleep there because we couldn't get through the tunnel. And then, you know, daddy's truck broke down like 10 times and mommy was crying. And no, <laughs> I wasn't crying. I'm just kidding. They're not going to tell you that. They're going to tell you all the highlights. They probably don't even know. Right? And that's the truth is we have to, in these trials, choose joy anyway. Choose joy anyway. I was talking to my sister Tayden. Um, on our drive home yesterday, and we were just texting back and forth, and then suddenly she's like, oh, please pray. Like, we've had so many, they've had so many car problems too, and she's like, my truck just broke down. Can you please pray? And I'm like, oh, gosh, why does this keep happening? And so we're praying, and I'm praying for her, and and so we're, you know, she's waiting for Todd to get out of a meeting, and she calls the AAA guy, and, and then she texts me, and she goes, well, the truck didn't break down. I was just out of gas. And it turns out <laughs> that she had, the truck said 36 miles. She's like, I got time to go get gas. It'll be fine. She goes to, I think, pick up her kids somewhere, drop them off. And she's on an incline on a hill. And now all of a sudden, the gas can't get to where it needs to go. And, and she felt like in that moment, God said to her, when we run too close to empty and we think that we're going to have time to go fill up later, but then suddenly you hit the ups and downs of life, and there's not enough to get us through. And I think that's a message for some of us today. Some of you are going, it's okay, I'll get through, I'll get through, I'll go back to God, I'll find my joy in him later, I just got to keep going right now, and then I'll go get, and he's going, you're not going to have enough to endure what you have to endure. You need to go fill up now, right? You need to go fill up now. The world tells us, I promise you this is the longest point. The others are very, very short. The world tells us that when trials come, get mad, be grumpy. You have a right to feel this way. I'm not saying don't feel, please. I know Sandy's on vacation today, but I really want to make sure. I, like, I'm not saying don't feel. When you're going through a hard time, feel those feelings, okay? But don't stay in them. Don't get stuck in them. Feel, okay, I am, there were moments, I am disappointed. I do feel terrible for the McVeighs who like every time we'd go, we're like, oh, now we're stuck here, sorry. Um, but I do feel that, I feel, but then I go, but it's gonna be okay. And God has a plan in this. And the clarity that he gave us, oh my gosh. Like he works all things for good in every situation. I'm not saying don't feel, but get beyond those feelings Count it joy. Consider it joy. Work through until you find his joy. Don't get stuck in the junk. The world says get stuck. The upside down way says rejoice in your trials. The next thing is the upside down way, the upside down things, that the, the way that these disciples turn the world upside down is by the upside down thought that you actually have to serve to lead. You see, the world is constantly telling you if you want to be powerful, if you want to be influential, then you make sure you've got it all together, you're in control, you, you make sure that you, you know, move up the ladder and you push out whoever you need to to get up there and you never show anyone your weakness, right? That's what the world says if you want to be influential. But Jesus says, you have to serve in order to be a leader. Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28, Jesus says to them, it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. 
The officials taunt their authority over those under them. I think that's one of the biggest problems that Jesus had with the religious leaders of the time. They were not serving the people. They were lording everything over them. They were, they were abusing them. They were trying to control them. They were trying to manipulate them. They were trying to make themselves bigger and better. But among you, it will be different. Come on, say that again. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. And even the, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the truth is when God starts to move, people get excited and they want to get on board. And so often we have seen in churches when people come and they're trying to clamor to the top, trying to clamor to, let me, do, let me lead. Usually it's because they don't actually understand their identity. They don't actually already under, they're trying to gain, no one here, like they're trying to gain significance. They're trying to gain significance by their position rather than recognizing that if they will take themselves low, he will exalt them. Rather than recognize, and so often, real leaders, true leaders, even outside of the church, true leaders of the kind who come, and they say, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I, what can I do for you? How can I count you as better than me? Right? And if we would actually see ourselves right, because God is not looking at us like we're these dirty, rotten worms. He's saying, you're my child. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are strong. You are royalty. And so if we started to see ourselves like that and then treat people better, come on. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus set the example. In Philippians 2, it says, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. He emptied Jesus, the one who was there at creation, the one who, who has done everything for us, the one who of anyone gets to and deserves to, to lord it over us because he is literally Lord. And he's the one who emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The world says, if you want to lead, be ruthless. But Jesus says, if you want to lead, serve. Love others. If you want to influence the world around you, if you want to turn the world upside down, if you want to turn your workplace upside down, if you want to turn your family upside down, if you want to, to turn your relationships, if you want to turn yourself upside down, learn to serve. Learn to love others. Learn to serve them first. The next thing the disciples turned upside down was in order to or give to receive give to receive the truth is that the bible literally says it is better to give than to receive right it's better to yeah we get that it's better to but it also says if you give you'll receive if you give you'll receive when you give, you'll receive. It's, it actually says, give, and it will be given to you. Pressed down and, and multiplied and, and overflowing. That if you choose to give. And this is one of those things, again, we're so upside down because the world tells us, if you want to be rich, well, keep making money and make sure you keep it. 
right? And his kingdom flips that on his head and says, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be rich, you give and you watch him give back to you. You watch him take care of you. You watch him bless you in ways that are not just financial, but will actually enhance every part of your life, right? Proverbs 11 verses 24 through 25 in the, um, NLT, New Living Translation, says it this way. says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. In a different translation, the English Standard Version, it says this. One gives freely, yet grows, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. I love that. And the truth is, guys, we look at that and we go, yeah, but there's also scripture that says that sometimes the wicked prosper. Yep. Sometimes the wicked does do prosper. And I want to also tell you this is not a formula. So if you go today and you're like, okay, I want to get rich, so I'm going to go give. <laughs> this is about, like Zach just shared about, this is about your heart posture. This is about your heart. God knows when you're just trying to, like, play games with him. Come on. <laughs> but I want to say to you, if you are struggling financially, and I do not want you to think that this is a point where I'm going, give more to the church. Please give more to the church. But also, I don't want you to feel that this is not why I'm preaching. I used to be really scared of ever speaking about money because I was like, I, there's so much junk in churches about money, right? So I never wanted to speak about it. And then God really convicted me. Do you know the blessing that you are actually robbing people of if they don't understand the way my kingdom works? And so I want to say to you, if you want to test this out, you don't have to test it out here. This is not us trying to be like, give more here. Go give somewhere else. I don't care. We need it. But don't go give somewhere else. I, I really mean it. If you are struggling, if you are not making ends meet, if you are constantly going, I don't have enough, I want to ask you, are you giving? Give. Because it's the way that God gets us to rely on him. And not just at one time, and I have a story from way back when, when I once gave. It's like consistently give. Right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. This is not in the, it's, it was in the law, but it's not only in the law. It started before the law. And it continued after the law. Where Jesus and, and God continually says to people, give the first Give the first of everything you have, the first fruit. When it, when it was, you know, when people were harvesting, they were supposed to bring the first fruit. Those who had um, cattle were supposed to bring the first blameless sheep or lamb or bull or whatever. This principle is, is one of those kingdom principles that turns everything on its head. This is how the world gets turned upside down is when we start to, as God's church, be the ones who come and we see crisis in the world. We see the orphan crisis. We see the HIV crisis. We see any, you know, hurricanes, whatever, whatever tragedies we see in the world. And we as the church go, we will give first. This is how we turn the world upside down. <clears throat> Got quiet in here. No one likes to talk about money. I want to tell you guys, um, the, this, this scripture that I read to you guys, that I shared with you guys from um, the joy of the Lord is my strength, that's from Nehemiah. 
And it actually comes at a time, I won't get too much into the detail, but it comes at a time where, again, Israel, for like the billionth time, has walked away from God, and the nation has been, and finally they're coming, they've been in exile and all that. Finally they're coming back. Um, Nehemiah's building the wall. Ezra's rebuilding the temple. And they, Nehemiah starts, they, um, they start to read to them the law. And the people are distraught. They're crying out. They're crying because they're so distraught looking at the fact that they have not been living right. And it's in response to that, to that remorse, to them coming and being so repentant that Nehemiah says, today is a day to actually rejoice. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's where that comes from. But you want to know the next thing they did? They decided of their own accord to write down an agreement that they would start to actually follow what God told them to do. And they start to write down these things. And the first, there's a whole section where they start to talk, okay, again, we will bring the first fruits. Again, we will bring the things to God first to show him. Because firstly, it shows him he is worthy. It helps us to rely on him and it blesses others. This is the upside down kingdom. <laughs> Give to receive. And then lastly, the upside-down kingdom says, love when hated. Love when hated, that we're supposed to repay when people are coming against us, when somebody in your life says something negative about you. Our natural tendency is to, like, shut them off or tell them off or, or whatever it is. And instead, Jesus says, love them. Love them. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36 says this. Love your enemies do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. Did you hear that? If you want to act like a child of God, if you want to act like a child of the Most High God, the way you do it is by loving those that are not easy to love. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. This whole idea of loving our enemies, you know, I think sometimes nowadays we kind of go like, like, oh, whatever, it's not, I don't have that many enemies or whatever it is, but the truth is that we come in judgment sometimes even against each other. We, we come in judgment against people in our families, against people all around us, and pe against people in our churches because they look different or do, do different things than we do. They might respond differently and we go, oh, these people are so frustrating, or they hurt us. Like, sometimes it's legitimate. They hurt us. And so the response is to come in judgment. But the truth is that our enemy, our enemies are not the people we're fighting against. You guys get that? Did you hear that? Whoever right now is frustrating the heck out of you, whoever right now you're dealing, every time you see them, you're like, Whoever right now you're going, oh, that person just really like annoys me, or man, they're living the wrong way, or they did this or that. Whoever that person is for you, I want you to right now recognize that they were created by the living God in his image. And anything that they are doing outside of that is them choosing to come into partnership with the devil. It is not actually who God made them to be. So the person that you are fighting against should not be the person. It should be 
the enemy, the powers and the principalities, right? And I do want a really quickly, very, very, very important disclaimer. For some of you, there have been people who have, who have actually abused you, and I am not trying to tell you to go back into that abuse, abuse or allow people to continue to abuse you. Please do not hear that from what I'm saying. Clear? All right. What I'm saying here is that we choose to respond in love. Doesn't mean we put ourselves under abuse. It means we choose to respond no matter what the circumstance in love, especially in the church. And I, I want to say to you, I want to speak very clearly on this because I feel like it's a warning that God's given me, is that as we are going and pushing back the gates of hell, the best way the enemy can come in is by causing division within the church, right? So, so this is not me going, oh, these are these problems, and so now I'm standing up here and trying to correct them. Don't hear that. What I'm saying is I feel like God is giving us a warning that as we continue to move forward, the best way for the devil to actually get at us <coughs> is to cause division within. So be aware of that. Be aware of that. Bitterness and unforgiveness give the devil a foothold in your life. If you feel like you have constant chaos and junk in your life, one of the first things I suggest you check is if you have any bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone. Because I can promise you it's hurting you more than it's hurting them. A few weeks ago, probably about a month ago, <clears throat> Cody, um, we'd gotten a prophetic word uh, that I, I spoke about and Cody spoke about also, a prophetic word about the importance of us kind of coming together and the unity to be able to fight the battle. And Regina had given us a word about the phalanx and how the, this like strategy to fight against, it's, it's a defensive and an offensive strategy to come and everybody takes their shields in bat battle and creates almost like a turtle-like resistance. And so um, we'd gotten that word. Cody then had, uh, with Joel and I, kind of reluctantly, he turns on the movie Gladi Gladiator and he makes us watch this whole scene, and it's like blood and guts, and Joel and I were like, oh, okay, I don't mind movies like that, but that movie is particularly gruesome. And so he shows us this whole thing, and we're like, wow, yeah, and so Cody's like, see, the Lord is saying this, and we're like, okay, <laughs> fully agree. But he ended up then preaching, if you guys didn't hear it, I don't remember which date it was, but go back and listen. And he ends up sharing the story of Gladiator and, and this whole Maximus and this whole thing that, that happens. And then Joel this week sends me a video, and um, it was a Lance Wallnow, who's a, a very um, well-known prophetic voice in the, in the world today. And he actually spoke about, he, he, he describes this entire exact scene in Gladiator that Cody just shared with us. And he says, I believe that the Lord is actually putting people in positions where they're going to need this kind of strategy. And I was like, I am listening, Lord. Because <laughs> a month ago, Cody shows us that. He preaches on us. We get this other prophetic word. And now Lance Wallnow is saying the church needs to know this. And so I'm going to really quickly recap it. I will not do as good of a job or have the voices and the sound effects and all of that that Cody would normally have. Feel free to jump in if you would like to. Um, but basically, Gladiator, um, it's, it's this... The scene in Gladiator where they're in this massive coliseum, and it's really disgusting because people are there to literally watch them just be massacred. And so Maximus is there, and he was a general in an army, and he's standing with um, these 12 men that he's been kind of training. And he starts to hear this announcer describe what's about to happen. 
And the announcer describes that, that this is actually going to be a recreation of the second fall of Carthage. And it's Hannibal uh, versus Scipio. Scipio. And, and what... Scipio! Um, and so what Maximus realizes is, oh, we're Hannibal, and they're calling us the barbarians, but... In this scene, what would happen, or what really happened, this recreation of this would be that Scipio comes in, and they have chariots with these massive blades, and they would just come in and massacre Hannibal and his, his army. And so he's like, oh, I know what's about to happen. We're about to be massacred. And then he pulls the piece. He looks, he looks at the 12 men around him, and he goes, he asks, are any of you soldiers... And then he says this, whatever comes through those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we stick together, if we work together. Do you guys hear that? Whatever comes through those gates, we have a better chance of survival if we work together. And then he gets them to all come in, and he says, he says okay, come together, closer, closer, closer. And then he tells them to lock shields. And, and what ends up happening is these, these guys come out who are supposed to be able to just, just decimate them easily. And instead, because they chose to stick together, because they lock shields, they are able to overturn. They're able to go down. At one point, they, he says, like, diamond formation, and they go down, and they lock their shields, and they bend backwards, and this chariot's coming at them, and they're able to flip the chariot. And suddenly, everything turns Everything turns, and Maximus and these men are able to go and get on the horses and the chariots that were meant to defeat them, and they take over. And the entire Colosseum starts to chant and cheer for them, the underdogs, for Maximus. Come together, lock your shields, as one, he yelled, as one. Come on. Lance Wallnow then says, they overturned the agenda that was against them. And then he tells us, even now, today, the church is put on display to reveal the manifold wisdom of God against the powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. You guys, I'm not just saying this, Lance Wallnow was not just saying this. This is actually scripture that says the church like a theater, like a coliseum, is put on display so that the powers and principalities of the dark world, the devil himself, can look at us and see, I thought I could take you out, but suddenly he gets to see the manifold wisdom and power and glory of the living God come and turn the tide, turn the tables, right? And Lance says... The body of Christ moving in unity as one is called to deal with whatever hell sends through those gates. We are up against the gates of hell. The truth is that if you are facing trials, if you are facing struggles, if you feel like your world just turns upside down in any way, or even if you're not like... The truth is, the closer we get to the gates of hell, we are called to come and push the gates of hell back. And the closer we get, the scarier the fight gets. The closer we get, the harder it gets. The more he's going to come at every part of your life. 
your finances, your family, your friendships, everything, your, your career. He's, the devil is going to try to take you out in any possible way he can. But if you will choose to come together as one with the body of Christ, suddenly whatever comes out of those gates, we get to overturn. We get to stand up, right? I'm going to tell you, like, there have been moments where we've been getting our butt kicked as a family, and then we went, what are we doing? And so instead of every night going to bed like, oh, we started gathering our kids and going, we're going to take communion every night. We're going we're gonna to just, we're going to have joy no matter what. We're just going to rejoice no matter what. We're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I was laughing because right before the service, I, I came in, I said to Cody, I don't normally struggle with anxiety. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really feeling anxiety. And, and Cody's like, Zach just had a word about that. And so Cody starts right before the service, and he's praying, and he's like, um, I, I wrote, and the, he says, um, he's, he's like praying against, you know, whatever the enemy's coming, and he says, get out right now, in Jesus' name, go back to the pit of hell. And I'm like, how funny would that be if somebody didn't know what was going on, and they just hear my husband saying that to me. But this is, <laughs> this is the reality. This is the reality. We are not fighting against each other. We are fighting for each other. And we get to walk up to each other and say, whatever hell is bringing against you today, we rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and it gets to go back to hell. Right? That we get to come together, and as one, we get to see the victory. But I think so many of us are falling apart and struggling in our own lives because we're out here trying to do it ourselves. And then we come together and we're like, woo, praise Jesus. And it's like, come on. Like, we're supposed to be fighting this battle together. And instead, God is trying to convince us to, to look at others with re reproach and anger and confusion and, you know, I don't know what they're doing and I don't know what the church down the street is doing and I don't know what, you know, this whole nonsense about whatever vision is. And, and, and the enemy is getting in our midst because instead of coming together, we are all just living our separate lives. And then we come and we play church. But like you guys know, we don't do that here. We fight this battle together. And if any of you guys are feeling right now like your world is upside down and you want to get it the right way up, I would encourage you, look at these principles and many others in here where Jesus says the opposite to what you actually think you should do is usually what you should do because my ways are higher. And, and, and if you will just choose to go against what you actually think, when your finances are struggling, well, just pray. Don't just go do it as a like formula, but actually pray to him. God, what is it that you're calling me to give? Is it, is it a dollar? Is it a hundred? Is it all of it? I've, I've known people who when they're struggling, God says, empty your bank account and give it. And you want to know what he gives back? <laughs> he doubles it, triples it ten times sometimes. I'm, do not take that as I'm telling you to. You pray. <laughs> when there are people in your life who are coming against you, I challenge you, love them. That might feel like every bone in your body, like, ugh, like it just makes you want to cringe because these people have been so awful to you. But I want to challenge you, do the upside down thing. Love them. When you are facing challenges in your life, choose his joy, not your own, not the fake kind, his joy that gives you strength to get through the trial as one. No matter what comes through those gates, we will defeat it and we will stand in victory as one when we allow him to be the one who speaks loudly into our lives.
Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness, God. God, I pray right now, Lord, that that we would understand that this world and our lives are not just about ourselves, but that we are actually called to put on display the truth of heaven, to turn the world upside down in Jesus' name. And that by doing that, we are not going out and fighting and standing as so many Christians end up thinking that their job is to just go and hold the rules up to the world and tell them how bad and dirty and rotten they are. But instead, your way is to love. Your way is to turn everything upside down and to be the kind of people that we could be going through the hardest thing and yet we come out saying, but my God is good. We come out and we have joy in the midst of some of the hardest times. That we are the people who just live with generosity. God, I pray for any person in here right now, Lord, who feels like the gates of hell have opened up against you. I pray that right now, Jesus would reveal to you people who can come around you, that you would actually have the courage to come forward and ask for support and prayer. I want to ask the ministry team to come up. Um, Even during the worship, you can just kind of stand on the side. Because I feel like there are some of you who actually need to right now come together and as one lock shields with somebody else. And I want to encourage you to have the, 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 the courage to do that, the bravery to come. And if there's any of you right now who feel like there's bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, I want you, the Bible actually says, before you bring your offering to him, he doesn't even want your offering if you've got that junk in your heart. So before you even bring your offering to him, go deal with that. Forgive the person. Whether you need to go outside and make a phone call, whether you just need to do it in your heart, I encourage you to do that before you bring any offering to him. And right now, Jesus, we just pray for hearts right now to be unified with you first and foremost and with each other. And God, this week, even in the next few few minutes as the enemy comes and tries to throw doubts at us, God, I pray that you would help us to see that as one we are yours that we get to come together as your family, as your army. And then it's not just us, but we actually have the army of the heavenly hosts coming behind us. And you are the one leading in front of us. The mighty warrior is our Lord. God, would each of us know that. And God, whether it's that we're facing trials or whether it's that you're just calling us to push forward and take more territory for you, God, Will you go before us? If you do not go, we will not go. In Jesus' name, amen.